So using the uh, wisdom faculty, panya, perhaps wisdom isn't even such a good word for it, discernment uh, faculty and uh, a theoretical understanding and, uh, and then applying it for um, clearly assessing what's going on and then the fi- and then the final is pat- then realization, which is the result. So you have uh, pariyati, which is the theoretical understanding, patipati, which is the discerning application, and then pativedi, thoroughly realizing these faculties, these three aspects of the wisdom process. And uh, theoretical understanding is based upon the understanding of uh, the conditioned arising of suffering and stress and the conditioned ceasing of suffering and stress. Uh, and uh, the emphasis is on conditionality. Certain, when certain conditions are present, suffering and stress arises. When certain conditions are removed, suffering and stress ceases. And when certain conditions are applied, it, it facilitates the removal of obstructive conditions. So you have a condition arising of suffering, a conditioned uh, ending of suffering, and a conditioned path which leads to the ending of suffering. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, conditioned um, means it's. Uh, all of it is process and uh, bringing together and uh, the correct bringing together of supporting conditions allows for destructive conditions to cease and then the supporting conditions are no longer needed and you have the unconditioned the realization of the unconditioned so we've been talking about supporting conditions. Essentially, you can take it down to one, one fundamental term, intentionality, you know, which is more than just the li- deliberate thought, but inclinations, attitudes, aims, what we potentize, what we bring to light, what we emphasize. Uh, and just like, uh, and then once they come into play, as they remove the obstacles, then they also are no longer needed. So in t- the unconditioned is no intentionality in it. It's, so it's rather like if you're doing a yoga asana and you're standing on your head. It takes a bit of setting it up, get the mat, get the floor, you know, get it sorted out, build up the strength in your hands, and then find the feeling in your body, and then you start to launch and gradually draw yourself upwards. Yeah. And as you extend upwards, it takes a little bit of time, you know, getting the right position. And then, ah, now you're in balance. And then, right, those places can relax. You no longer need those intentions to lift your legs or to flex your back or to, you know, brace your fingers or however you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So the arrival is then, oh, that supportive condition is no longer needs to be empowered. It's done its work. You know, it can pass. So you get the unconditioned. The unconditioned doesn't need to be supported, held, grasped, defined, remembered, figured out, claimed, proclaimed, <laughs> <laughs> affirmed, or approved, or anything. It just you know, it speaks for itself. <laughs> you know. Peaceful, signless, has no mark such as uh, um, you know self or non-self or here or there it hasn't does have a mark in terms of time or place uh, you know it's, of course it's very difficult to conceive but because it is in fact not conceivable <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, just note that. So really what we focus on is path, conditions, supported conditions, with our sense of 
aspiration because as the supportive conditions come in, you get, you get some sense of it. Oh yeah, it's a little less conditioned. You get, begin to experience the lessening conditions. It's incredible tangle and turmoil, over, almost over-conditioned with planning and agitation and restlessness and remembering and projecting and struggling and doubting. All those conditions start to decline or wane away and you get wane and you get a feeling of, oh, it's a bit more spacious in here. Yeah. So you get some sense of which where, where it's going to the lessening of mental, psychological uh, formations. Lessening of what's called the stilling of sankharas. The stilling of them, not suppression of them, just they, they're no longer necessary, so they just fade here yeah, because they're only a, they're only an energy. Mm. And in the Buddha talking these terms of these uh, presentation on the four noble what are called the four noble truths, suffering, the condition arising, the condition ceasing, uh, and then the path to the condition ceasing. Um, talked in many ways about the supportive conditions and about the whole process itself. And the, the, uh, in the Four Noble Truths presentation, the, the, the nugget of it is it's through the giving up, the relinquishing of tanha, thirst. Uh, it's this sense of this pathology that's always wanting to consume or have to have something, to have something. Something we take so much for granted, it really runs through our lives, doesn't it? Material, immaterial, do you have anything? Have you got it? Do you have an understanding? Do you have, how much do you have? And, you know, so we don't have anything, do you really? Oh, yeah, but that's a nice, yeah, that's that's very profound, but actually where I've got this. You know, what we have, we feel we have something, the karma, you know, but you don't really have anything. Stuff's on loan, stuff's passing through, stuff is stuck, stuff is recycling, stuff's moving around, but you don't really have it. You know, you're occupied by it, preoccupied by it. Yeah. So, you know, so the, the, you know, Craving just doesn't really work. Mm. What it does, it sets up a kind of momentum that keeps us going because craving always projects a glow of achievement when we get what we crave. Mm. When we get what we crave, this glow of achievement we'll experience gratification, fruition, clarity, reward, knowledge, whatever, we'll get that, we'll have that. Mm-hmm. And so anything that's worthwhile in our lives is, has the sign on it, glow. <laughs> <laughs> anything that's worthwhile, it's, it's got the glow sign in it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Good retreat, glow. Yeah. <laughs> it's got the glow sign on it. And the glow sign is the thing that we crave towards but as you recognize once you once you've got it the glow kind of fades so what's worthwhile as a glow once it the glow goes out it's not worthwhile anymore you can't crave it because you've already got it or it's already there yeah so this sets up a particular momentum because what we don't have is glowing and we've got to get it and it's worthwhile. Once you get it, it doesn't glow, it's not worthwhile. <laughs> you know, that's you get caught in craving. Is whatever you got, whoever you are, it's not good enough because it's not glowing. And what's really worthwhile, you're never going to get it because as soon as you get it, the glow goes out. <laughs> So you're not worthwhile. <laughs> that's what craving does. Fortunately, that's not all we have. Yeah. You know, we have other other 
faculties and it's it's tuning up and brightening up those other uh, faculties contentment dispassion compassion releasing letting go brightening those up really giving those more time and more attention you begin to counteract the glow of craving into a steady quiet warmth of being of being steady quiet warmth of being and that's you know how it, it can only shift it shifts that way uh, it's not always easy to uh, dislodge the power of the glow of craving yeah and it's on everything isn't it from i don't know chocolate chip candies to iPads to sedan cars to everything's got this fairy dust on it mm. yeah. once you got it you think, well so what <laughs> but really catches it's it's, it's kind of goes right into your central nervous system there's a kind of ringing there it's it's uh what's that that's called perception 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 is when something nominally outside, you get this wave effect where it lights up inside you. And that's called perception. You get it, or it gets you. Yeah, and it can be just ordinary. You see someone, you see a face, and then boom! Oh, it's you know, and this little light bulb goes off. Pleasant perceptions, unpleasant perceptions. Perception is marked by fear. Perceptions marked by, you know, warmth or aversion. It's gone inside. Or it seems to be inside me. Although when you look inside a body, it's not in there. Uh, it goes right into our, our psychology. That's perception. And perception uh, gives rise to, is, is conjoined with feeling. Perception and feeling. So what one perceives, one feels, what one feels, one perceives. What one's affected by, one perceives. Mm. As it touches, if you get it, a perception arises. So the very fact of being affected. Ah. And then a perception arises. I mean, this is not necessarily crystal clear. They're just flushes of, oh... That's nice. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's clear. That's don't get that at all. You know, you get the feeling of not getting it. A murky, swooning feeling. Yeah, that's a perception, mental perception. Can't understand a word he's saying. That's very clear. You're clear that you're confused. Yeah, it's a clear perception of confusion. And around that, yeah, and there's an um, unpleasant feeling. I don't like confusion. So I get a bit agitated, trying to get clear. Mm. You're clear. You're confused, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> so you're trying to get cognitive clarity around something that's not cognitively clear, but it's perceptually very clear. You all know it. You all have experience often. And as you... I notice in, in the aging process, that one comes in more often, that confusion <laughs> sense. I don't, don't get it. It's too fast. I don't understand the language. I can't process the information as quickly. You go, what? <laughs> and then you, wait a minute, slow down, you know, and see what will come out of the murk you know, and the fog. Perceptions and feeling, unpleasant feeling, pleasant feeling, and then activation. You know, struggling, uh, trying to find something, trying to get it together, or feeling really offended, woof, or feeling really pleased, woo, or feeling. <laughs> <laughs> so this is activation, is it? Sankara. So around that, that's, that's, that's the kick, isn't it? Something gets, something is felt, something's perceived. Action, kick. You get the push. Subtle push, you know, it could be anything like collapsing. Something pushes you down. 
rousing up, yeah. and we we are wired to that. Mm-hmm. And then the you know, feeling, and then the tanha, trying to get the good one. Mm, trying to get the good one, whatever good means. Mm, nice, comfortable, clear, glowing, settled, you know, that one, tanha. And then when you sort of assemble something that seems close to it, upadana hanging on to it. Got my space, got my comfort zone, got my feel-good place, I'm holding this, you know. And we can get quite territorial around it, even around the edge of our Zambutan, you know. (laughs) My place, you know, off, you know, my zone. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got my Zafu just right, and I want it this way, and space, and position the horn. As long as nobody bothers me, I'll be all right. And then somebody does bother you, and suddenly this kind of rage, rage comes running up, doesn't it? So, experience on retreat is these kind of activations of 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 rage over somebody impacting my space, either sounds or sights or things like that. Somebody walking too slowly in front of me when I'm going to the food line. Get out of the way! If you can't. <laughs> Gee, gee, that's powerful, isn't it? <laughs> so, you know, in the depend, arising, the Buddha is saying, well, from feeling, you get craving. From craving, you get upadana, uh, clinging. And then what's the result of clinging? You become something. You become, you know, you, you suddenly form in a particular way. You know, it's me, solid, three-dimensional, occupying space. I have, I am, you know, and I want to get becoming birth to the next thing. So he's saying this is, this is the way it goes. Hmm? I'm noticing just a you know, friend of mine, I've you know, been a Buddhist for 20, 30 years or so, and she's out shopping with her, uh, you know, down the street in, in a little quiet town in England, all kind of very nice and quiet and rural. And, and she's kind of getting the shopping and there's, you know, somebody, elderly person in front of her, and she's thinking, she could feel this voice, get out of my way. You know? <laughs> I want to get to the shops, get out of my way, stupid old person, you know. She's <laughs> quite shocking, you know, this little energy coming up in her mind. Somebody's, my way, my place, where I'm going to be, you know, birth. I am here, I'm going to be there, I want to get there. I want to be born into that shop where I can get my whatever it is. (laughs) Get out of my way. (laughs) You know, when they have these uh, sales, you know, like some kind of special (laughs) sales thing, and, uh, you know, kind of fairly genteel, average. Mothers and dads and some of them, kindly people get to this and they transform into kind of fanged <laughs> wild animals, <laughs> barging and shoving past each other to get the thing. You know. Wow. Sorry. The energy that's there. Is, uh, and then, you know, suffering, isn't it? Stressful, really. Have that running through the system. And uh, so, you know, what, what's the really the, the hinge, hinge point of all this process? <coughs> what's the real, if we try to look at one particular feature, tanha, what, what's a tanha? You know, because it, it it rushes. So, what's tanha based on? What's thirst based on? Mm. There's perception, the feel-good glow, achievement. Mm. You know, or getting out of the mess somewhere I'll be clear and peaceful, and you know, it's a tanha to get out, or a tanha to get in, 
or a tanha to become something. You know, get out of this job, get out of this state, get out, get, have, become. Yeah. What's the real uh, nub of it all? And the nub of it all, which is we've been kind of touching into, is the me sense. Where does that come from? You know, the self, the self-referencing chitta, the chitta that self-references, does this an action. This is me. This bit is the me. Where this body is, this is the me. Hmm? Where this house is, this is the me. Where this thought is, this is the me. Where this opinion is, this is the me. <laughs> Where this wish is, that's me. Where this pain is, that's me. Where this pleasure is, that's me. Where this virtue is, that's me. Where this ugly defilement is, that's that's me. The self-referencing chitta. Doing that, it's an action. So, you know, ever checked out who that is? And who it happens to? Who's there? You know, know, because the movement is so immediate and quick and, and... so much energy and, and, and kind of activation in it. You ever checked out who it's referring to? It's kind of like, it's kind of swirling, dissolving cascade of thoughts and moods and sensations. Who's that? Who's it happening to? You know? Who's in this body? Who's it happening to? Something, but me, solid, permanent, lasting, this is what I am, this me, this is something that's the core of my life, and I don't even know what it is. There's no substantial reality, and yet all these actions are placed upon pleasing it, improving it, uh, quelling it, straightening it out, calming it. We don't even even got a clear reading of what it is. And this is um, called Avijapachaya Sankara, or from not knowing, this conditioning process, the Sankara, the activation, start to infuse consciousness. Mm. The self-referencing infuses consciousness. So, so it goes from ignorance, conditioning, this arising of Sankara, Sankara conditioning, Consciousness, consciousness, conditioning, subject and object, name and form, a knower and a known, an entity and something it happens to, contact, feeling, craving, grasping, becoming, birth, (laughs) death. (laughs) So this is the rising of this whole mass of suffering. And it's from the complete dispassionate clearing, seeing, to replace ignorance, non-seeing, non-getting, getting in touch with it, apprehending it, fully sensing it, that this whole thing doesn't have to arise. So the origin of it is the seed, seeded in of the self-referencing, which is an activity in consciousness. A normal activity, I imagine every creature has it, even an amoeba has some sense of, you know, I'm protecting this bit, this bit needs feeding. <laughs> it's not got a lot of doubt or, you know, it's, but it's got that fundamental sense. The human being, this, this me sense is highly elaborated over social functions and makes us such complex intricate and incredibly um, agile and uh, you know facile creatures just to live just about anywhere but also we get, end up getting tangled in our own complexities and mashed up in it and confused and then all this stuff starts going awry because the self-referencing although it may be a natural 
feature for incarnation. With ignorance, you know, it seems as if there's a solid me there who receives experience and a solid I who activates experience. And there isn't what there aren't. There's perception and feeling, the me, and there's activation and impulse, which is the I. So the Buddha is saying, look, just not, just don't get the surgeon's knife out. It's not about cutting anything. Just be clear about who this me is as a, as a felt experience in the here and now. Know it as relative, changeable, a perception. And just keep checking it out. Is this helpful? Is this useful? Mm. What's it supported by? And the I, which is the agent, is that clear intention, useful, happy intention, skillful intention, or is it knee-jerk reflexes, wild assumptions, deluded fantasies, um, things that you know are not for one's own welfare or the welfare of others. And uh, his own way of checking was to say, well, is this activation, is it for my welfare, for the welfare of others, and does it lead to Nibbana? If it does, follow it. If you can't, check those three boxes. Pause, wait, look more closely. For my welfare, for the welfare of others, or not for their harm anyway. Mm. So we, we start to recognize, well, you know, acquisition seems like it's good for my welfare. Is it good for the welfare of others? Does it lead to Nibbana? Pause. Mm. Just pausing around the conditioning process. As you probably all recognize, you know, human beings in general suffer from this uh, uh, incredible consumer conditioning which does seem to be for our welfare, I mean, all kinds of wonderful stuff. Yeah. Oh, it makes me feel good. And really not knowing or not being clear about, well, where does it all come from? And, you know, just bearing in mind there's nothing material that doesn't come from the earth. And the earth doesn't get paid for it. <laughs> nothing material from a Kleenex to a, to a, a robot or whatever. Everything material has to come from the earth. So, are we aware of that? Are we conscious of that? And if it's we're just using that heedlessly, then what about other creatures? Uh, is it for their welfare? No. What about exploited labour? Is it for their welfare? You know. And just be you know going through that conditioning process. You see something like you know you drive near a gas station, nice and clean bright people, buy what you want, nice, you know, get your gas going. And somewhere along the back, you trace that pipeline back, and you know, there's this kind of huge dis- devastation in <laughs> somewhere <laughs> where the earth is getting gutted and poisoned. And you, you don't do that, and you don't know that, and you didn't want that to happen, and yet there's the cause. So we thought, yeah, you know. And sooner or later, as we're all recognizing, we're going to get, we get the feedback of that. We're getting the you know, you, the loop starts to come round and we're getting the results of that. So, I mean, just, hmm, hmm, think again, think again. Maybe less is the new more. <laughs> yeah. But let's not just go into that too far, but just to connect to conditionality and, uh, you know, and then we look at things like, what about the conditions such as sharing and generosity? Makes me feel good, welfare of others. Because the thing we do have as humans is the immaterial. We don't have anything material. Everything's got to come from somewhere else. The thing that we can generate is thought. Trees can't think. We can be wise stewards. We can think, we can measure, we can assess, we can have wisdom. And if we bring forth our resource and bring it forth fully and 
clearly and vigorously, you know, then you've got another set of conditioning activities to, to turn. Yeah? One of the things that a wise person begins to recognize is sharing. Generosity is for everyone's welfare. Jealousy fades, the aggression fades, the resentments fade, heart feels good. You know, you know, that, that process. You know. Morality is good for everyone. If I'm less violent, less grabby, less deceitful, I feel better. It's better for the welfare of others and so on. These are, of course, these are complex, aren't they? Because you just keep dripping that, those infusions into the mix of this incredibly dense and tangled karmic soup that we're living in. You know, you just, I don't know, but what I can do is that. And the more people feel good about doing that, the more they're going to do it and so on. That's all you can really know on that external global level. And what about renunciation? What about simplifying as, yeah, I feel clearer, lighter, easier, and yeah, so on. So we look at those conditioning. See how, just as an example of how con- conditioning can turn to have real results for, a, for, ev- for the welfare of everyone. And it's really beautiful to, you know, particularly you come to the end of a retreat, start to sketch in some possibilities of following up those clues, those signs. How do we share? Mm. Mm. And you, you know, just coming o- o out of the hyp- hypnotism of tanha into the cool light of wisdom. So yeah, you know, there's me doing it on one level. It's still got intentionality, not becoming kind of like a kind of brainless blob <laughs> who can't think anymore. There's intentionality, <laughs> definitely, you know. And there's the results, there's consequences, there's clearer karma. So yeah, the, in some ways the process of self-referencing continues, but yet it's much clearer. It's self-referencing as a function rather than as an ontology, rather than as something that really, you know, becomes a preoccupation, you know, who I am, building myself up, or how I feel. Mm. Mm. That that path. Mm. And, you know, according to the, those who have followed that through very thoroughly, you know, that self-referencing can itself become so still that activity doesn't even have to happen anymore. There can be just awareness with no self-referencing. Because, you know, when you've done that action of me, me happy, me sad, me joyful, me corrupted, me polluted, me this, me trying, for a while your finger starts wearing out, you know. <laughs> As you've been through all those kind of things, and yeah, okay, okay, yeah, okay, it's passing, yeah, okay, yeah, we've been through, yeah, okay, that's no big deal, and yeah, okay. Eventually, it's not such a big thing, really. <laughs> you know, losing interest in, in the movie, the me movie. Yeah. Yeah. As it quietens, calms, you both lose interest, and also the, the intense energy of it begins to wane. Yeah. And, so, you know, why bother? Why bother to have an opinion if you don't need one? <laughs> 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 why bother telling somebody else how they should be if you don't need to? You know, instead of that. <laughs> 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 You start to sign on other people. Don't this is at signing. You've signed her off as one of those. You signed him as that. You signed, and so you're signless. I don't know. <laughs> don't have to write on on life anymore because you're listening to it. What's happening here? What am I creating? What signs am I creating? Signs mixed with jealousy or aversion or discontent or mistrust. No, it's just. You know, clear it, clear it.
as you're aware, I'm sure that the Buddhist path is full of um, lists of factors, you know, enlightenment factors, indriyas, uh, balas, strengths, idipadas, and there's defilements ranged up on the other t- side, and there's a team, who's going to win, and so forth, parami, and the asava. Yeah. There's ten paramis, only four asavas, I think. And uh, the, <laughs> the good news from the list makers is that the wholesome quality is actually more of them than the unwholesome, which is nice to hear, isn't it? The Abhidharma sorted that one out for us. <laughs> it's just that the unwholesome work harder. <laughs> so you've got to kind of get your team wake them up and realize there's something they could do for you. Mm, waking them up. You know, so waking up our, our mindfulness, our energies, our faith, our propensity for joy, our propensity for love, our propensity for just sheer stability and resilience, you know, which you all have. Mm. And because you know all the lists, I thought I'd just present something, another another one, this is kind of my own little thing, <laughs> which you can, as a direct, as more like a, 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 it fits in with what I've been trying to encourage, um, and also fits into how the, the three areas that these sankharas act through, so sankharas are activations, or formative tendencies, and I think I mentioned lightly, you know, the ability to think, that rallies a thought, that brings up a thought, that constructs thoughts, that constructs verbiage, either internal or external. That's activated, isn't it? You know, it can be a case where you, you know, you're so confused or sick or tired or whatever, you can't do it. Uh, uh, you know, Or even in, like you're just coming out of meditation, it takes just maybe like a second or two, perhaps, if it's been really quiet, <laughs> before you can... Uh, and your thought sort of comes up. Yeah. You see, it really is an activity and you can feel the running on of it and the, the careening of it, the bouncing of it, the jitteriness of it, or the steady collectedness of it. Mm. It's activated. Mm. And it's there to provide us with some kind of clarity, isn't it? <laughs> the idea anyway. <laughs> uh, so it's called the Vajji Sankara, the, the verbalization uh, active activity or activation. Then you have the heart activation, the Chitta Sankara, talking about heart very broadly. It's to do with our perceptions and feelings. It's the th- way that something gets me and it gets me, we'd say it gets me on the effective level. I'm moved, I'm touched. I'm stirred, I'm aroused, I'm firmed, I'm gladdened, I'm thrown back, I'm moved forward. There's an activation then. You know, I feel filled or whatever. Something happens. You, you know. Heart activations, chitta sankara, to do with perception and feeling. So that's the trigger of them. If you don't have the perception and feeling, it doesn't happen. Or if you get the wrong one. I see somebody telling about this movie of, I never saw it myself, but uh, kind of, I think it's just a fantasy movie, somebody thro- flying over an African desert, throwing a Coke bottle out of the window and it lands in the sand. Of course, people have never seen a Coke bottle. And it's this amazing thing come from the gods or something. What is this thing? You know, Because to them, it's just like, I've never seen glass, clear, shiny, formed Coke bowl, which we just chuck out the window. You know. so, so I think, well, this must be something from some divine, you know, has sent this down, or maybe it is a divinity, you never know. You know. So, so you get activated in different ways, depending on what you're, you know, how, it's, how, you, how you've seen it, how you familiarize yourself with it. Yeah, imagine taking a like a a laptop 
computer and giving it to somebody living in the Amazon. It's kind of silver grey box. What's the use of this? You can't eat it, knock it, can't <laughs> make anything with it, you can't dig the earth with it, chuck it away, you know. Because <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it is just a silver grey box. <laughs> you know, if you don't get it. <laughs> yeah. So perception, how you, how th- the fact that you do get it, and sometimes you, what you get isn't quite right or it's mis- misinformed. And we're always doing this with other people, aren't we? You know, you see someone, you, you think you got it, and you've got something else. You know? So this is, but we get activated around that, and the, in a heart sense. There's emotion that occurs with that. You remember something, that's perception. You get extremely stirred by memory. Perception stirs you. Not the actuality, but the perception. Not the Coke bottle, but what you think, the Coke, what you see in the Coke bottle. Not the other person, but what you feel for the other person. Yeah. You're only activated by perception. That's, that's, that's the matter of it. It's incredibly uh, useful and also difficult to really see. You think you're activated by sights and sounds. You're not. You're activated by heart. Mm. You know, you can see one thing on one day, and it's beautiful, wow, next day, don't even notice it. Somebody else think that was terrible. That was terrible. What? What do you mean? Didn't get it at all. Saw the same thing. Heard the same thing. Sometimes you hear some. Somebody didn't even hear it. it was so such a, such a didn't affect them at all. Didn't get it. And how our own actions, which you think are just, oh, I'm just bumbling along, good-natured fellow, and this person is driving me nuts. You didn't get it. <laughs> well, everybody does this, don't they? Sure. No, they don't. You realize how offensive and how we can, you know, disturb it because of perception and feeling. Yeah. What we take and what we interpret is perception. What we interpret, the, how we translate experience is perception and feeling. Very important area to know that no sight, sound, touch, fragrance, can bother you at all. It's only perception feeling that gets you going. Yeah. Really useful to know that. Nobody else can annoy you. Isn't it good to know that? <laughs> nobody can annoy you, nobody can intimidate you. Wonderful. If we didn't so in immediately translate into, into I'm being look down upon I'm being you know and maybe the other person's intention is that way but it doesn't happen until you get activated it somebody's saying yesterday you know when this bear came by and this person just kind of happened to walk out the back door or something with a cup of tea and just (laughs) (laughs) you know the yogi code you walk carefully if you you see another yogi don't make eye contact and stuff so Bear. <laughs> not not yogi, but not even yogi bear, but bear. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> and just that process of like, actually, before the fear kicks in, you just go. And then, actually, no. There is, there isn't any fear at the moment, you know, before, if you, you know, because of the slowness of the process, and then you're looking, you're coming to the sense of seeing another yogi, so you're looking for, you're, you're tuned to that, it's just another person, then before the fear can kick in, oh, actually he's not aggressive, he's not attacking, it's just there, and I'm just here, and here we are, you know. You know, tuned, aware, let's check this out, here's a, but, you know, 
doesn't have to be. And imagine if you'd panicked. Oh, God, blah, blah, blah. You know? <laughs> the bear would probably get agitated and problems occur. Perception and feeling. And the other faculty we have, and that, that's that, there is some choice over that if we're careful and slow and, you know, st- what really helps is to be embodied, which is the third aspect of Sankara. This is coming into your body. And this was, I, I emphasize this a lot because this is the one that's most often completely lost or hugely under, under cultivated, get embodied. Because mm. mm. then you have some counterbalance to this rush of emotion and thought. You've got something that can handle and be with emotion and thought, the tremendous push, rush, flounder, reactivity of it. Just count three and come into your body, you know. Uh, grounding. And then, yeah, you can manage. You don't have to go into that reaction. I think, you know, if we, so it's a huge amount of damage is done through not taking five seconds. Mm. Huge amount of damage, just through five seconds. If we don't take five seconds, then those instinctive reflexes jump out. The old karma manifests. We believe in the perception and feeling. Boom. You know, we've acted, and then problem, just like the panic, and so on. So it takes that five seconds to come into your body, breathing out. How is that? Very simple process to to just bear in mind. Very difficult, but simple. I remember I was trying to set up something where there's a rather difficult situation. I thought. And you get into these verbal parries when you're in a conflict or argument. So if I could just wait three seconds before replying, just count to three before replying. Somebody says, well, you always do this, that, and the other, you know, and you're never going to... And you just kind of count to three. And I think I managed it a few times. It was incredibly helpful. And I just... Uh-huh. You know, just that much. Rather than the immediate shoot back, you know. Just so, just a small piece like that, and what's happening? You're not looking at detailed body scan, but just the sense of okay. So this is the third sankara, the bodily sankara, and it's really centered around breathing in and breathing out, breath energy. So we use those, and those can be either lost, such as you lose your sense of breathing, you lose your sense of embodiment. So really what happens is your perception and verbal stuff takes over. So you're really acting out of whack, you're acting out of synchronicity, you're acting out of fragmentation Mm. because you're not accessing the fullness of what is there for you. And through that, this, the confusions, the biases, the distortions, the understandable (laughs) agitations and panic or whatever, take over and then you've created some more karma action and what you know you may very have acted towards another being which is difficult but even more consistently you've trained your mind once again to go down that same track you've firmed up that same track again you've carved that groove a bit deeper a bit deeper and you you know you heirs to our karma that will form you that will mold you that will be your sense of who you are. Your mind will more readily run down that track because mm. that's the one you know. That's the familiarity. I mean, this is myself. This is the way I am. I'm stuck in this. I'm always like this and so forth. And there's the rebirth. Mm. So the Buddha is saying from this birth is the arising of future birth. On and on and on. Because we've carved a, a track for the mind energy to run down. Sankara transmutes from life to life. Carries on. Everything else is assembled around it. That's how karma continues. 
<coughs> and you can notice it certainly in this life. Mm. And rebirth was not a commonly accepted understanding at the time of the Buddha. It was just coming in. The, way, the Vedas have no reference to it. So it was a new idea that people didn't accept. So the idea was just some kind of old cultural thing that the Buddha had to adopt does not stand up. Mm. It was one of his first realizations. This was a realization he had on his night of enlightenment. Like he discovered something that this stuff rolls on, you know, and that was a big aha. And then he began to see it rolls on dependent on skillful or unskillful. That's the direction it goes. And there's a way to, to uh, change and check that process. This is the three visions, three insights, the three profound realizations that made up the Buddha's awakening. And so then, you know, this is the foundation of what he was teaching and why he was teaching. That we don't have to keep recreating ourselves in the same old pattern and mold, which does us no good, doesn't do anyone else any good, and isn't conducive to Nibbana. But it's through accessing these three and really training in that. What I'm suggesting for meditators or for cultivators is you really got to Build your body. Yeah. I'm just checking because I don't want to stop wagging fingers, but this is what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Come more fully into that. I can feel the flush of the rage, you know, the lust, or the impatience, or the shrinking of sadness, or the tremblings of grief, or the you know, flusterings of embarrassment running through this system. And you stay in there and you hold it in your body. You breathe in and breathe out. And it takes time. And it tra- but it transmutes. Sometimes it doesn't go, bong, one step, here we are, Nibbana. But it goes, you know, and it shifts and moves along. Mm. This is what, you know, why patience is so, so paramount. Bearing with and... Holding it steady, because we're turning around huge, huge momentums. Huge momentums. It's not just. It may be in the present moment, but really take that idea, present moment awareness. Yeah, that's where you you touch it, but you're dealing with a tsunami in the present moment. (laughs) You know that 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 thing's been travelling. How long? Who knows? But it's been travelling a while. It does not just die down by you saying let's let's kill chill for a while <laughs> yeah. so you've got to work on it and that takes basic strength mm. so what I'm pointing what I'm putting down as a little list is basic strength comes from your embodiment embodiment basic heart which comes from your heart capacity the ability to share to open yeah to empathize and in basic clarity which comes from your thinking capacity so instead of agitated confusion mingled emotions and just out of our bodies altogether or in constricted body patterns those three bases can be healed and brought together so they're all operating at the same time there's your team there's your team so it's no longer theoretical buddhism it's actually in your guts, in your blood, in your, ti- in your s- sinews and tissues, you know, Dhamma. And we have com- huge capacity in the embodiment thing. Hmm? Look where it goes when we're in rage. Do you realize how much power you have when you're in rage? I mean, you could tear heads, people's heads off. <laughs> when you're, feels like it, doesn't it? You know? When rage comes, uh, yeah, and how we get activated around that, you know, right? You know, you get two two guys start to confront each other, then it starts flowing up. Comes the capacity to, you know, batter it out. Road rage, right? Yeah, defensive rage. Yeah. So what what will a what will a woman do to, for her child? You know, her child's at threat. What is she not going to go? Well, maybe we should think this over carefully. 
you know, <laughs> that kind of activation. That's very instinctive. Now, you know, it may not be that calm or pleasant, or but that's the power you got. And if you just try to constantly kind of anesthetize your your power, your rage, then you're actually not only you're fighting against your own system and you're also reducing your resources. So let's talk about transmuting that into, into strength. Strength, like here we are, really grounded and strong so that the capacity to feel all that can be transmuted. Hmm. And our desire, our craving, our go-for-it glow can be transmuted, which is in the heart, can be transmuted into something more warm. It's not that far away, you know. You know how can you, it's by holding it carefully how to come through, you know, the glow system into the, into the warm-heartedness. And so often or that we just remember very simply the simple message is there's another person here. <laughs> you know, that's the simplest way to say it. There's another being here. Connect. Yeah, connect. So even if you're in grief, there's another being here, you feel compassion. Mm. Yeah. You feel a sense of something wide, and because the heart's natural, natural facility is empathy. If you tune into that, you have tremendous capacity to be with this uncomfortable feeling, unpleasant feeling. We get together around it. We can, we can manage it. The mind. Of, so even if you're sitting on your own, just remember whatever pain you're feeling. Whatever sadness, whatever tragedy, whatever fear, somebody else is experiencing that right now. This is our, so our, we are brothers and sisters in, in, in suffering. It doesn't sound that great, <laughs> but it just helps the heart to do that essential opening that allows the painful feeling to be present. It doesn't turn into happiness, but the painful feeling turns into Patience, compassion, serenity, it's okay, I can be with this. It's no longer disintegrating me. Mm. You cultivate like that. Much better in the long run than con constantly you know, shying away from it. But the heart needs that embodied strength to give it a good basis. That's what backs it up. So you feel your emotions and you, f you feel it and you come into your body, feel the fullness of your body, you know, the real energy in your body and that gives that heart a chance to open. If you lose your body, the heart just contracts, spins out. So these, you know, and then the basic clarity, which is I'm clearly confused, I'm clearly in doubt. Yeah, this means it's just the honest apprehension of what's happening. It tends to, to to help dissolve the need for self-imagery. You know, realize quite a lot of I don't don't really know, don't really get, I can't figure it. Yeah, it's not that clear. And you know, you don't have to be that clear. You just have to be clear that you don't know. And what's that leave us sort of open, interested, uh-huh. Maybe some things don't need to be known. We can just stay in that open, unknowing, unconditioning, the need to think, the need to figure. Take the future, unknown. Take another person, unknown. <laughs> yeah. Why am I like this? Unknown. We're looking at conditions rather than reasons. Hmm. The condition for this uh, experience is not the reason for it. Why am I like this? Because of this, that and the other. 
Now, why am I like this? Because it's, a self, it's based upon the conditioning of a self-referencing mind. Without that, I'm not like this. <laughs> so, what's the supportive condition? Not what's the reason why? And so often, the question we come with, why am I like this? Why can I be something else? Why is she like that? Why am I ever like this? Why can I be, how can you? No, that, that doesn't, that's not the question that takes you to realization. It just takes you to more thinking. So when we're looking at conditioned arising, it's not the same as caused arising. Buddha is saying that a cause is not known, but the condition can be known. And the condition means when this is present, this is what happens. In the presence of a me, this is what happens. In the presence of fear, this is what happens. In the presence of grief, this is what happens. In the non-presence of embodiment, this is what happens. When I'm not embodied, I'm dangerous. You know, because you know? <laughs> tanha can take over. So we're not saying it's because. You know, this is the supportive condition and an obstructive condition. Mm. You know. I learned when I was reciting, learning my, to recite one of the long chants, the Patimoka chant. I used to recite it in this church, little church just next to the monastery because it was the only quiet place <laughs> you could go to. The monastery was so busy at that time. And walking up and down, reciting this, learning it. Did it every day for six months, an hour or so, learning this particular chant. So, you now I go to that church again, I hear this chant. Where is it? Is it in the wall? Did the church cause it? Is it because of the church? Is there some mystic power that the church has? No, the condition of that perception is a supportive condition for the arising of that memory. It doesn't create it. It's a supportive condition for it. And so you start to get out of the trying to review why why? Why am I like, why am, why? Why am I like, why is it this way? Supported condition of thinking. That's, what, <laughs> that's what's causing that. <laughs> the condition of doubt and uncertainty, that's, what, that's what's supporting that. You know? Yeah? Mm. Just look clearly into the present, sense it in your body and you get it. Now saying, you know, and this kind of inquiry, and the inquiry was re- what's really important, what's really important, what's really important for you now, look into what's really important for you now. And I was thinking, what's really important? What's really important? Clarity, good friends, bright energy, patience, effort. What's really, what's really, really important now? Lo- the du- loyalty, duty, what's really, really important? What's really important? I could feel this in my body and this said, said, what's really important is that you relax. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's what's important. (laughs) So often you get the signal from your body. And it's often just so obviously, once you get to your body, your body says, this is so simple, why didn't you ask me, you know? And then that, all that stuff just poof, because it doesn't have a doesn't have support anymore. Yeah. So this is for a meditator. This is this is our this is, can be our, our our route to to nibbana. You're trying to figure out why you're going to be here forever. <laughs> <laughs> just get to the condition that's supporting doubt, the condition that's supporting frustration. Feel it in your in your body, and your body will go. <laughs> something like that, you know. You'll feel something open in your throat or your shoulder or your belly, and you go, oh, it's kind of different now. <laughs> Be clear about that, that process.
anyone.